I wonder if any of you like me, when you were a child, ever kind of had some irrational fears that one day you were going to find out that you were actually adopted? Like anybody ever have that fear when you were a kid? Like, ah, oh, yeah, some of you did. Uh, I don't know why, you know, but, but I remember friends of mine talking about that. And like people would say to each other, oh man, you're probably adopted and stuff like that, you know? And, and so um, I don't really know why that would be such a traumatic thing. You know, I mean, if you were to find out you were adopted, because I'm guessing that a number of us here were not exactly what you would call planned births. Right? I mean, for some of us, our parents thought they were done having kids. You know, and, and, and then, oh, we've got another one. Or maybe, um, you know, your parents were young and they were really not, you know, did not feel ready to have kids yet. And then, oops, you know, they found out that in a few months they were going to have a baby and they were going to become parents. And, but listen, even if, you are the product of your parents' perfect planning. They didn't know what they were going to get exactly, right? I mean, they didn't know exactly what you were going to be like or what I was going to be like. And and so they kind of just got what they got, right? And, And they were stuck with us. And they just had to like us, you know, they just had to like us whether we were likable or not. But that is not the case for those of you who actually were adopted. See, if you were actually adopted, then you were specially chosen by your adoptive parents. Like, they chose you. And they didn't have to choose you. And in fact, they could have chosen any number of other children to adopt. In fact, they, they, they didn't even have to limit their search to the United States. I mean, they could have gone to China or Russia or Africa or you know, India or wherever because the world is full of children who need adopting. And yet they chose you. They picked you to be their child. And that's a pretty cool thing, I would say. Now, They wanted you enough that they were willing to go through all kinds of lengths to get you to become their adoptive child. They they had to go through a tedious, time-consuming, not to mention expensive process to get you into their family. So, so. That's pretty cool. And, And so don't be telling me that you have a complex that you're adopted. Because um you must be pretty special if someone chose you. And if you can kind of begin to wrap your mind around that concept, then just wait until you start thinking about the implications of the fact that you, if you are a believer, have been adopted by God. All right? So as we pick up where we left off last week in our series, looking at one of the most theologically Packed chapters in all of the Bible, Romans chapter 8, Paul picks up where we left off right here. This is where he goes next, beginning in verse 14, as, as we continue this series called New Life Now, Six Truths About Every Believer. He says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, rather 
the spirit you received brought about your what? Your adoption to sonship. And by him, by the Holy Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are what? We're God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So in this new life that we now have in the Holy Spirit, this new life that we have in Christ as believers, Paul says one thing that is absolutely true of every single believer is that you are adopted. You have been adopted. God has welcomed you into his home. He has welcomed you into full status as a part of his family with all of the privileges and the responsibilities that go with being a child of God. And so if we go back to two weeks ago, week one, we talked about from verse one that we have been acquitted. That as, as believers, we've been acquitted. We've been declared not guilty by God. And that's his promise for his future verdict over our lives when we stand before him. That we will be declared not guilty, that we are no longer under the sentence of sin's condemnation because Jesus took our sentence and paid it for us. And then last week in week two, we saw how that we have been liberated. As we looked at the verses uh, between verse two and 13, we saw that, that Paul tells us that we've been set free from sin's dominating control of our lives. And, and so we are now able to, to live a life where we're no longer just helplessly under the control of sin. Right? Even though we're still imperfect, even though the struggle is still present and, and it's not completely gone, we now have help, we now have power, we now have the presence of the Holy Spirit to, to help us, to free us, to love God and to love people the way he wants us to love them. And, and so Paul, as he talks about that, and he talks about this, the Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives, in us, he goes on in the next few verses that I just read to talk about something else that the Holy Spirit does. And that is that the Holy Spirit testifies that we are God's children, all right? And so we need to know that. It's, that's important information. It's important that you, if you're a believer, are confident that you are a child of God. And, 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 and that's so very important because God does not just function for us as our maker and our judge and our king. No, for us, God has taken on a much more personal role. He's taken on a much more loving role. He has come in and, and, and he takes this role, this intimate role of being our father. And so Paul says there in verse 16, the spirit himself, what? He testifies, okay? The, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So the Holy Spirit is given to us and he comes in and he touches our spirit and he presents our spirit with evidence of this 
incredible new reality, this incredible new relationship that we now have with God our Father. And you know, sometimes we use language when we're talking about all of humanity and we'll say things like, we're all God's children. And, and I mean, it is true. There is a general sense in which, you know, we all came from God, right? We all came from God. We're all important to God. And the ethnic and geographic and economic lines that divide us are artificial distinctions that God cares nothing about. Okay, but that isn't the way that the scriptures usually talk about God's fatherhood. And it's not the way that they usually talk about people being children of God. And it's definitely not the way Paul is talking about it here in this text. We are not born God's children. It is something we must become. And so he says in verse 15, he says, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. So I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that phrase. The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Now, there's two things right off the bat that you should notice in that phrase. The first is that we become God's children by being adopted by him. Okay, that's how you become a child of God. It's it's not something you're born. It's something that he must do when he adopts you as his son or daughter. And by the way, that that word adoption that Paul uses in that that verse was a very well-defined legal term in the time in which Paul wrote this letter of Romans. And so Roman law allowed for a person to legally adopt someone And and under the law, when they did that, that person then became the legal son or daughter of the person who adopted them. And there was no distinction under Roman law between a natural born child and an adoptive child. They had the exact same legal rights. They were treated exactly the same. And the reason that Paul uses this term sonship, did you notice that? He, he talks about you're, you've been adopted to sonship. The reason he uses the term sonship instead of a more maybe gender neutral term um, that would include daughters is because under both Roman law and Jewish law, the rights of inheritance went down and were passed through the sons unless in some cases there were no sons, there were only daughters. So what Paul is trying to say, what the Holy Spirit is saying through Paul is that not only are all of us as believers, not only have all of us been adopted by God, we've all been adopted as full-fledged sons in in terms of being uh, those who have the rights of inheritance. Whether we're a son or a daughter, we have the rights of the son. And so we're going to come back to that right of inheritance here in a few minutes. But first, really, what I want you to think about is what that means for you and me is that God chose you. You've been adopted by God. He chose you. You you are special to him. You're precious to him. And, And that's something that you just need to just let your soul relish a little bit. The apostle Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter one, verse five, he says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he what? This is what he wanted to do. And it brought him great 
pleasure. Okay, so that is incredible. He, God went to incredible lengths to adopt you as his child. He, he actually paid an incredible price to adopt you as his child. He, he paid for your adoption with his own lifeblood, making your adoption the most expensive adoption in the history of, of humanity. That's how much he wanted you as his son or as his daughter. And that's something that, man, there's nothing quite like that. Now, the second thing, so that's the first thing you should note in that, in that sentence is that you become God's child when you are adopted by him. The second thing you should notice is that that adoption happens when you receive the Holy Spirit. He says, again, the spirit you received, what? The spirit you received, verse 15, brought about, thank you. Thank you, slide guy. The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Okay, And, and so Paul has been very, very clear, um, not only here, but elsewhere, that the Holy Spirit is something that you receive as a gift when you are saved. When, when you are saved by the grace of God through faith, that's when you receive the Holy Spirit. So what that means is the Holy Spirit does not dwell in every human being, okay? He only dwells in those who have been purified by the blood of Christ so that they become a holy temple that he can dwell in. And so it is his presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the living, breathing presence of one of the members of the Trinity in us that marks us as someone who has been adopted by God as his child. And so I just wonder if, if you happen to question that, if you are wondering whether you actually have received the Holy Spirit, if you're wondering, you know, have I actually been adopted by God? Am I a child of God? Then Paul gives us some, some really helpful information here. He, he explains to us the ways in which the Holy Spirit goes about testifying to our spirit that we have, in fact, been adopted by God, all right, and that we have a place in God's family. So let's look at the evidence, okay? What, what is, how does he testify to our spirit about this? Well, the first thing Paul says, exhibit A of the evidence, is verse 14. He says, for those who are what? For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So you know that you have been adopted by God and you have received the Holy Spirit if the Holy Spirit is the dominating force in your life. And by the way, the word for at the beginning of that sentence, for those who are led by the Spirit, connects it with everything he had just said in the previous verses that we looked at last week. And so what he is saying is you are led by the Spirit if your mindset is primarily on the things that God's Spirit wants for you rather than the things that your sinful flesh wants. It means you are led by the Spirit if, if you're yielding to the Spirit. You're yielding to the Holy Spirit and you are with his help and his power, you are putting an end to sin's dominating control over your life. So on the other hand, if you've kind of cozied up to your sin, like if, if, you've, if you've gotten really comfortable with your sin, 
and you're content to just stay right there in your sin, that's very strong evidence that you are not being led by the Spirit of God. And that's something that you really need to pay attention to. So a child of God isn't perfect, right? But they are committed to doing battle with the sin in their lives and to overcoming it by the power and the strength and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. So that's one piece of evidence that Paul gives us that you have the Holy Spirit in you and therefore you have been adopted by God as his child. Another piece of evidence he gives, so this is to be like exhibit B, is in the very next verse, verse 15. He says, the spirit you received does not make you what? Right, does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Because remember, the Holy Spirit's given, we talked about this last week, the Holy Spirit's given to you to liberate you, right? To liberate you, to set you free, not to enslave you. And so, I think what Paul is saying here is living for God is not a slavish thing to a child of God, okay? Living for God is not a slavish thing to a child of God, right? But it can feel that way if you're trying to do it by your own effort. If you're trying to do it all by your own effort, your own willpower, or if you're trying to, to live for God, to prove to God that you're worthy of him, you're worthy of his love, then it can feel like a slavish thing. Instead though, you should be living for God out of a relationship, out of a personal relationship with him and knowing that you have been accepted by him and, and enjoying doing life with him. So if you're afraid of God, if you, if you see God as like this, this, this slave master, if, if you see his commands as being unreasonable and that they're a burden to your life, then you still have what Paul calls the mindset on the flesh back in verse seven. And you still need the heart transplant. You still need the, the new mind, the renewed mind that only the Holy Spirit of God can give you. So his presence within you changes the way that you relate to God, all right? And that's so important. Verse 15, he says, rather, instead of being a slave you know, where you're fearing, he says, rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. So when you, when you stop feeling like a slave and you start feeling like a son or a daughter and you see God as your father, that is evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. He is at work in your heart. He brought you to faith. And that faith that you now have is what changes your perception of God. And you start to see and relate to God differently. So you can't look up to God or maybe bow your head and from your heart say, Father, I need you. Father, I depend on you. Father, I love you unless the Holy Spirit is communicating to your spirit that that's what you are, a child of God. It's just not going to happen. He's the one who teaches you that. He's the one that testifies to your spirit that you are God's child. And it's not just like, it's, it's not just that this is some kind of formal legal Adoption. It has, it is formal and legal, but it also has all of the love 
and the nurture and the compassion and the tenderness of the best father-child relationship. And, and way beyond that. You know, this, this term Abba that Paul uses in this verse, is, he's borrowing that term from Jewish culture. It's an Aramaic term that was a, a term of endearment that a person would call their father more like dad, uh, an affectionate term that implies trust, that implies love, that implies a closeness. And, and listen, guys, developing that kind of relationship with the creator, like the almighty creator of the universe is something that only the Holy Spirit can do in your heart and your life. So when Paul says in verse 16, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. These are the kinds of experiences that, that he mentions. Here, these are the, the pieces of evidence that, that we are being led by the spirit to unseat sin from its dominating control over our lives. We have a different mindset than the unbelievers around us. We no longer are seeing God as some kind of slave master that we need to run and hide from before he puts some heavy burden on our back. But instead, we are running to God with all of the trust and the affection of a child who knows that his dad loves him. And so if you are a person who trusts in Jesus, those are the pieces of evidence that the Holy Spirit is in fact at work in you. And that should give you confidence that you are a child of God. And here's where it gets even more exciting, if that's even possible. Verse 17, he says, now if we are children, then we are heirs heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Do you hear what he just said? Like, do you understand what he means by that? Since we are God's children, we are his rightful heirs. That means that you stand to inherit and enjoy forever God's home and everything God has made. <laughs> you know, many of you know that I'm a Cowboys fan and have been for life. And that's, I appreciate the grace that you show me for being a Cowboys fan. <laughs> but, um, you know, as a Cowboys fan, I, I, I sometimes think about what would it be like to be one of Jerry Jones's kids? All right, Jerry Jones is the owner of the Cowboys, if you don't know that. So, um, I mean, so Jerry Jones owns the most valuable sports franchise in the entire world that's valued at like $9.2 billion. And his own private net worth is said to be something about like $13.5 billion. And so if you're one of his kids, if you're Stephen or Jerry Jr. or Charlotte, you stand to inherit all of that money and my favorite sports team. So it's like, I'm like, I think that's a pretty sweet deal. You know, not that I would want Jerry Jones for my dad and I wouldn't trade my mom for all the money in the world. Um, but you know, a person could do worse, right? But listen guys, the Jones family fortune is chump change compared to what I stand to inherit. 
and what you stand to inherit if you're a believer. I mean, it really is. See, when your time comes, I don't know when your time's gonna come. It might come today or it might be decades from now, but when your time comes, you are going to inherit God's home. And do you remember what Jesus said that the meek shall inherit the earth, the new earth that is promised that God is going to bring about when Jesus returns. And we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. But I'll tell you what, I can't wait to explore it. I can't wait to explore every square mile of its sugary white beaches and its lofty mountain peaks and its painted deserts and its lush meadows and its rushing rivers and its picturesque lakes and its like magical caverns and and everything else that's going to be a part of that. And, And I just, when I think about that, I just can't wait to explore it. I can't wait to enjoy all of it because you know what? It's gonna be mine. It's gonna be ours. And, and it's not like there'll be any fences or walls or guarded borders to keep us from, from going and enjoying some of those things. It's not like money's even going to be a thing, so that's not going to be an issue. And we'll have all the time in the world to explore and enjoy it. Man, that's something. And and if you are God's child, then you are his heir. And he says, you are a co-heir with Christ, meaning that the kingdom that Jesus stands to inherit is also yours and mine. He rules over it. We'll rule with him. I mean, that's amazing. And however awesome that is, which it is, however awesome that is, it's going to be a bit of a journey before we get there, isn't it? And so he says in verse 17, now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his what? We share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his what? In his glory. So listen, a life of faith in this broken world where Satan is still very much on the prowl, is always going to include suffering. And Paul's going to elaborate on that a good bit in the next couple of paragraphs, but we're gonna save that for next Sunday. But for today, I just want to say, let's acknowledge the fact that a life of faith includes some suffering. It's just part of it. And yet, I think, When we are suffering, when we are going through those hard times, that's when we're most likely to question whether God sees us as his children, right? That's when we're most likely to to wonder if God really loves us. And and so we start to to, to wonder, am I really his child? And, and, And do I really have anything to hope for in God in the future if this is what I'm experiencing in the present? But Paul turns that idea completely around and he says, no, no, in fact, he says, the suffering that we as God's children experience in this life points to the fact that we will also get to share in his glory 
in the next life. Why? Because that's what happened to Jesus. Jesus, the only divine son of God, the only child of God by nature, Jesus Christ. That's what happened to him. He suffered, he died, and then he was glorified. And so we can expect a similar pattern in our lives as God's adoptive children. Even though our suffering and death doesn't accomplish what his did, it's, it's that we have been brought into this union with Christ, right? We have been brought into a union with Jesus. We are now one with him. And so we must expect to suffer with him. And we should also expect to be glorified with him. We are one with him. And, and, and that's true even though we're God's children, in fact, I would say it's true because we are God's children. Because we don't belong to this world. And the people around us don't like that. And certainly our enemy, the devil, doesn't like that. And so a life of faith in this world as God's adoptive child is going to take some tenacity and some perseverance. But we can do that. We can do that because we know that whatever suffering we do have to endure in this life is going to be totally eclipsed by the glory of eternity. I don't know how often you stop and contemplate that you are God's child, that you are his rightful heir, but you should. You should stop and contemplate it. Because guys, there isn't a better thing that could happen to you in this life, in this world than that. And you have received God as your father. I mean, like as good as God's gifts are, and they are good, but as good as his gifts are, there is no gift that God can give you that's better than that. Just him. Just the fact that he's your father. That relationship is, is better than any blessing he can ever give you. And one day when you stand before God, you will not see him as your judge. You will see him as your dad. And he will welcome you into his arms with a love unlike anything you've ever experienced. And he will say, welcome home, my child. My home is your home. Everything I've made is yours. Everything I've prepared is yours to enjoy. So let me give you a couple of quick next steps. In light of that amazing truth that Paul has, has opened up to us. First thing is, Accept God's offer of adoption. Accept it. It's an offer. John tells us in John chapter 1, verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you believe? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? and as your Lord. Because it's, it's only those who receive his only unique son, Jesus Christ, that God adopts as his, 
as his adoptive children, his adoptive sons and daughters. And so that's the first step is, is to accept his offer of adoption. He's chosen you. He wants you. He, he, he has paid an incredible price for your adoption. All you got to do is, is, is say, yes, I, I want to be your child. And then the second thing is to affirm when you're praying to God, affirm to him who you are, that you are his precious child. I think that's so really important because a lot of the experiences that we have here in this life give us a very skewed story about ourselves. They tell us something that's not true about who we are and yet Jesus has come and he's given us a new identity. He's told us who we actually are. And, and now that we know that we are God's children, that we're his sons and daughters, we need to live in that identity. We need to live out of that identity. And so we need to, to embrace it fully and, and be aware of it and think about it. And so I would encourage you to take this text of Romans chapter eight home with you and read it and pray it and affirm the truth of it and thank God that he has adopted you and that you are his precious child and his rightful heir.